Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I am your host, Patch, and with me, ready to dive into episode four of season one of Invincible, is my best friend, Aaron. Hey, man. Hello, hello. I just realized we got to change this up for next episode. So next episode, when you introduce me, you go through the normal spiel, but like right before you get to my name, you just stop and we pause oh, okay. and I go... Aaron. <laughs> Do you think that will sound just as stupid as it is in the show? Yeah, probably dumber. Because they don't actually say it in the show. It's visual, and it doesn't really work in a podcast medium, True. I guess. <laughs> we just create a pause, and then we just allow the audience to just think about your name <laughs> popping up on screen. <laughs> Yeah. That'd be fun. <laughs> I'm sure that'll make a lot of sense to them. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if they're listening to this series, True. maybe yeah, they we're will. setting you guys up for yeah. next episode, so be ready. Okay. Yeah, there's <laughs> all right. Well, we're in episode four, as I mentioned. This is halfway through the first season. It didn't disappoint. I really enjoyed this one. It just it keeps getting better. I- I'm looking at the IMDb ratings right now, and it sits at a 7.7, although. I thought it was better than episode three to an extent, and that was an 8.1, so my, my ratings are not quite aligned with IMDb, but I'm excited about the next four, or three of the next four. There are three of the four in the nines, 9.1, 9.5, and 9.6, oh. with a 7.6 floating in there in the middle of those four. So I think we're in for some good stuff in the back half of the first season, Aaron. Yeah, definitely like this one and looking forward to where it goes from here. Yeah. All right. Let's get into it. Cold open. There's a guy with a nice hand tattoo. Uh, He's showing up to an excavation site. He goes into the excavation site. And I absolutely love the fact that he uses his tattoo to unlock this, what I call pure evil. Like he goes up to the door. I got Raiders of the Lost Ark vibes complete with being possessed and I was I was hoping for a melting face of some kind at this point but unfortunately we didn't get that we did get some intrigue there okay this goes back to episode two where there's that random opening of the burgers landing next to Buckingham Palace this feels like that too we've got that guy who apparently has resurrected a dude named Cahor according to the locals so intrigue is there but yet again another mystery that doesn't get paid off in this episode yeah no this one i don't know about the burgers the burgers thing we may never get resolution for maybe we do it's like an easter egg somewhere but this is clearly a setup for a big bad that is going to be something to deal with the rest of the series like i there's no doubt in my mind that that's what this is going to lead to and i loved it too anytime you have entertainment like this with an excavation site that's just like such a perfect setting i've thought about video games i've played that have been set with an excavation site you've got your raiders of the lost ark you're always going to find a demon or an old ancient alien civilization with eggs or some sort of like ancient relic powerful item and object and like always 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 so I, as soon as he 
pulls up and gets out of that car and you realize there's like a dig going on out in the middle of the desert or whatever. I was like, yes. And I, I was honestly, I'll be, I'll admit it for a minute. It took me a second and I was a little let down that it was so fast and then over. Cause I was like, please let this be yeah. like a big part of the episode. So that was a bummer. Yeah. He, he literally got the door he shut did. on him. <laughs> like that whole sequence just got the door. Yeah. The big door. Wah! Yeah. Right there. Sucked him the back in door. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Do your tattoos glow anytime you get near a door, like the ones that you have? No, like I, I don't know Do if that's a tattoo. That feels like more of like a brand <laughs> at that point. Yeah, I don't okay, know. Okay, well, I, I guess I don't know why you get tatted on your on your hand like that. So, yeah, I guess it would be like a brand. But he's surely proud of it because it opens up a gateway to yeah. hell. Something. Meanwhile, in the desert, Mark is uh, causing dust storms. Really funny. While uh, training. And apparently he's still having trouble flying, which I guess is is the case. We haven't seen him training a lot. He's still young at, the, at, at doing that. And I, I think this is a great conversation with them where Nolan's just sort of, this is just after the title card, the abrupt <laughs> title card with more blood. But um, Nolan's reiterating why he came to earth, gives his little speech about why he, he came. We get a little bit more backstory. His parents obviously passed away but he came to Earth because it felt like a chance to build something new. And because I don't really trust Nolan, I really feel like he's given his kid the runaround. I halfway believe him. I halfway don't. I kind of want to not believe him because I feel like this sets him up for such a great kind of anti-hero later on. But it's a nice little kind of surface level moment between father and son on top of Mount Everest, scaring the crap out of climbers who, by the way, I love the look where he's like, Oh crap. And then the next moment he's like walking down Everest. He's like, okay, I guess I've done my, my thing here. But yeah, I like that. Scene. Yeah. It's interesting to me that they're still practicing too. My favorite line from that little scene is I can't believe that I still have to exercise. <laughs> Mark is like complaining <laughs> that he's like a superhero now, but he still has to do out and actually work at it. One thing that I found interesting was maybe you call it a loophole, maybe not, but Omni-Man is talking about the air when he says, we got to go to Mount Everest and they get to the peak and Mark is having trouble breathing. And they mentioned that the air is thin up there. And I'm like, hmm. So the air is thin on top of Mount Everest and you are actively struggling to breathe, but you're flying in the atmosphere and you're just fine. It stuck out to me because the, they normally manage the details so well, as we see later in this episode where Mark goes to space for a second time and does something differently to make sure that he's taken care of this time as opposed to last time. Yeah. And so I was just like, oh, man, what's going on there? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I think maybe it's a, I don't call it lazy writing. Maybe it's just that they've got focus every, uh, elsewhere in the episode, but you're right. I think there's a little bit of inconsistency there and who knows if, if Kirkman's doing what I think he's doing, we're going to get all this stuff like explained in one episode. Like here's all those things that you thought were random Probably. and thought were wrong. And they're actually, Kirkman. yeah, I, I also, <laughs> I just love this moment though. I'm a big fan of climbing movies and mountains and all that stuff. And so when we got to Everest, it was really neat to see that represented. And like you said, the funny scene with the guy like reaching the peak and he's accomplishing this incredible goal that has killed many, many people. And he's achieving right. it. And as he's achieving it, there's these random superheroes standing on top of the <laughs> the peak. Like, what kind yeah. of wacky ending is that? <laughs> and then, like you said, Omni-Man and that conversation they have was really kind of foreboding 
in a way. He's talking about sacrifice. And I found that really interesting when you think about what he did. And I keep just, I'm not absolving him of his actions necessarily, but I'm so curious about his motivations and his reasoning. Like we've got to find out what's going on because all throughout this episode, there's more dodging of the reasons behind it. And this conversation with Mark had me really thinking that there's gotta be, there's something, some reason he thinks he's making a sacrifice and that's what he's alluding to. And I just, I, I can't wait to find out how he equates that to what he did. Yeah. I feel like Nolan is setting him up. Uh, well, Kirkman and, and company are setting Nolan up to be kind of the Raskolnikov of the superhero world where he's like, feels like what he's done is justified. Uh, there's a great conversation later on in the episode with his wife when they're having dinner at that fancy restaurant. And he's trying to tell her, look, here's the truth. It's not the truth. But the way he says it makes me feel like he had some justification. Because Again, we don't know anything about the Guardians of the Globe. These guys, in all honesty, could be bad guys. They could be everything but what we think they are. Like, we make fun of them. We think, oh, these are knockoffs to the Justice League. And maybe that's the point. Maybe the point is that we make assumptions based off of familiarity with other superheroes that we that we know. And yet, he could be doing something justifiable because they're actually the nefarious gang. Now, for all intents and purposes, we haven't seen any of that. We've seen one episode with them saving the day with the Mahler twins and nothing else. So we're led to believe that he just comes in and goes postal on him in that first episode. But you're right. This conversation along with a handful of others that we'll probably mention sort of lead us down a path of like, maybe Nolan does have something. Maybe he's not just hiding something. Maybe he's protecting something. And so that's an interesting, it's an interesting take for sure. So they take off and the episode moves to Olga's home. This is the, I guess, widow, I don't know if they were married, uh, ex-girlfriend of what blue blur, red, red rocket, red, I don't know what his name was, flash of the, of the Kirk verse. She is talking with Debbie about these kind of conspiracy theory ideas that no, you can't trust these superheroes. You, you really can't. And, and that's okay. I'm going to actually do what needs to be done and go back to Russia where the truth is always spoken. No, she doesn't do that. But she does decide that she's going to leave. Her life is is done here. And she asks Debbie to sell her house, you know, because Debbie's the the queen of uh, real estate, apparently, you know, selling a home with a double homicide in it. And then back at the Grayson home, some of the things that she says to Debbie kind of get her to inquire, okay, hmm, maybe something's not going on. She boots up a, a computer, goes all private browser, I thought at first she was going the dark web, but I was like, no, she wouldn't do that. She just said private browser and looks up all this stuff about your favorite character on the planet, Damien Darkblood. Yes, sir. And how he has shed light on the truth. Help me understand this, Aaron. What she's reading, are these about past events when she's getting kind of an understanding that Damien Darkblood was right about something, so he's got vindication, he's, he's worthy to be trusted? Or is this about the events of what we're seeing now. I think it's the former because nobody else has a clue besides him and eventually Cecil uh, that Nolan has done these terrible things. So I'm thinking it's about his past. I think it's because he visited her and whatever Olga, Olga's like throwing doubt further on what has taken place. 
And so now she is seeking out a reason for her to believe what Damien is saying, that perhaps something really is going on. The fact that she's finding all of these news articles that are essentially proving that he knows what he's talking about and he's good at his job, then as we see throughout this episode, I feel yeah. like she begins to become less and less certain of what potentially Nolan's involvement was. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but I was leaning towards that because he creates such a, a cool little foil for Nolan in this episode. And and again, you know, you who do you believe? The the demon who sees things in black and white or Nolan who's like living in the gray area along with Cecil. Well, by the end of the episode, we, we have to make our own choice there. But as she's finishing up that research, Mark and Nolan, they come home. It's such a fun little parenting moment where they're giving him crap about, quote, hanging out. Hanging out. Wow. Try not to sweep the girl off her feet too much. Guess where they're going? Out. Ooh, out. Every woman's favorite destination for a romantic evening. I don't even know what we're doing. She planned the whole thing. Oh, take charge, girl. I like that. Are you both finished? Because I have six time zones to wash off. This was cute. I thought it was a very brief scene. <laughs> it just, you know, it's fun that they decide to go on a date. And I think it's uh, it's, a, it's a fun little time that they have together. Yeah. But it, yeah. I like that we got throughout this episode several little brief moments of him and his real life. And again, continues to be a highlight of yeah. the series for me is the balance of the real life moments with the overarching bigger conspiracy and superhero plot stuff. I think that's what makes television series work is when you have those B plots that keep you engaged at a local level. If you have more global or bigger things going on, I think it's, why you don't see that much in procedurals because everything is about the case. Everything's about like the patient. Whereas like a serial, some things that we were, my wife and I were discovering with the show Suits that everybody and their mom is watching right now is that it started out as a procedural where every episode was about a case, but it led to a serialized drama where you have through lines that go multiple episodes, but there's like an A plot and a B plot and a C plot. And this is no different. You have this heavy thing happening and you have other things popping in, like this archaeological alien thing that's hinted at, coupled with the lighthearted stuff like Mark's date. I love this next scene with his his date with Amber, how he is trying to impress her. He wants to buy this, like, uh, I think it's like a treasure chest of some kind. Yeah, it's, I don't know what it is either. But <laughs> there's no treasure in it. it. It costs $800, so it should have treasure in it. And then he buys her a, a rice separator because that's all he can afford, which I thought was really cute. But we also find out that she's kind of a philanthropist. She likes you know, serving the, the kids, serving the, uh, the less fortunate. So the date night was great. And he, uh, he tries to relate to her traveling ventures by talking about Everest and kind of fails because you can't really navigate that. <laughs> My dad and I went on a father-son trip. Oh, did you go through Nepal? Anyway. Yeah, that was uh, pretty funny <laughs> listening to him struggle to explain yeah, it. Yeah, it's great. The episode cuts to Dark Lord's office where Nolan confronts him about breaking into his house, threatening his family, while Dark Blood calls him out for what he did. So I think that at this point, we are in the know that somebody else besides Nolan knows that he did this. I don't think Dark Blood has proof, but I think he 
is pretty much like convinced, yes, you did this. And of course, Nolan denies that. But I love seeing how Nolan defends his family. Like you came into my house. It reminded me of that scene in uh, Godfather Part 2 where Pacino goes, You heard what happened in my home? Mike, I almost died myself. It was also relieved. In my home! In my bedroom where my wife sleeps! Where my children come and play with their toys. Nolan is consistently showing that throughout the series, how much he cares about his family in spite of the fact that he's done this horrible thing, which goes back to what you talked about earlier. We just don't know what his motives are and we can't really latch on to, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is he a bad guy with good motives? I mean, we don't know. And this scene really amplifies that between him and Damien. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I am certainly on Dark Blood's side here. You don't get to tell me you can't come into my home when you're the one who is lying about having murdered people and hiding and covering it up. Like you can either come come clean and bring the truth out into the light or you deal with the consequences. And that's the way it is, Nolan. That being said, I'm still so curious about that reasoning. And I'm sure that once we find out, it's going to make it more complicated than we could imagine. That it's not going to be simple and easy. It's going to be something that we probably have to wrestle a little bit with and why he's making the choices he is. But I liked this confrontation too. And I also like how cool, calm, and collected my guy is completely unbothered by this apparently like the most powerful superhero on the planet. And Dark Blood's like, whatever. (laughs) Okay, go off. Bye. Like he doesn't even flinch. So I'm really curious about how powerful Dark Blood is actually as well. Because Nolan doesn't try to like put him down or anything. You know, why didn't he murder him? Like, he he just gets mad and then (laughs) leaves. Storms out. Yeah. Storms out above the ground. He He floats out. Yeah. Like, he doesn't (laughs) even have the the stones to walk away. He just floats away because he can because he's Omni-Man. Then we're at the abandoned warehouse where we have a little montage of a growth party. Um, I think one of the Mahler twins is like, I need my brother back. So... We get this whole sequence of him being all sciencey and sciencing the crap out of future Mahler twin. This is an interesting transition. I really I appreciate the way scenes transition in such an interesting way where what we have been watching the whole time with this Mahler guy, solo Mahler, is actually being monitored by robot as he and the rest of the new Guardians are going into the Guardians lair. And it just it's a nice little reminder that that robot's not one to be trusted or that we has more going on underneath the circuitry than we might think. So the new guardians are home and everything looks great. Apart from the giant blood stain, Cecil teleports in and reminds them that the blood stain is a reminder that they need to prove themselves worthy to be guardians. By the end of the scene, everybody's getting used to being there. A little banter between, uh, I think it's monster girl and Rex but the big moment comes when Rex and Robot have that uh, interaction and Robot steals his blood. <laughs> that was the first big kind of, okay, so we know you've been spying. We know you've let these Mahler twins out. Now you're taking blood samples. Really interesting turn here for uh, for the story and for Robot. Yeah, it's we don't know what he's doing and why. Again, Again, the motivation is the thing that is lacking for us that makes this story interesting and i guess i'm realizing is really impactful in all kinds of storytelling is when we don't know 
why people are doing the things that they're doing because yeah is what robots doing on, on the surface it's just like what nolan did it's a criminal act he let out someone that was a dangerous murderer and he is allowing them to go through this process he you know stealing a superhero's blood but what are his what it was his end game and it's really really fascinating to me to kind of learn what he's got going on and is robot gonna be like the the big bad is he the antagonist at the end of this thing is nolan trying to like <laughs> draw him out so he can fight him like i don't know what's going on with this i love the montage scene though by the way like this guy just casually like making his brother again and also thought it was fun <laughs> seeing the juxtaposition of a character that is so physically imposing and impenetrable that he has to use this freaking drill into his skin in order to crack the yeah. surface and get blood. But then at the same time, he just turns around and he's like a scientist because he apparently knows how to like split cells and create clones. I just thought that was really fun because that's not what you would presume looking at that character. He's beast mode, literally beast mode. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good point. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Blue and everything, right? <laughs> That's got to be on purpose. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Back at the Grayson home, Nolan comes home. Debbie's working. The arguing is great. She says, I like doing work stuff. Because he's like, I think he's trying to entice her to go have sex with him. Then um, she's like, no. And he goes, shh. And she goes, don't you dare shush me. <laughs> I'll tell you a quick story. My wife had a moment like this. Not with me but with somebody else, she was at a soccer match for my son, my 10 year old son. And she was yelling at something and she heard somebody say, shh to her. And she was like, do not ever shush me. That's a real thing. If you haven't experienced that, do not shush a woman, but he's shushing her for good reason because he discovers that Cecil has maybe inadvertently snuck into the house Mark comes in after his successful date with Amber, complete with a little goodnight kiss, and gets the lowdown on why Cecil's there. So this is kind of the B-plot. This is the NASA story. The NASA crew apparently needs a superheroic escort to Mars. And after hesitating a little bit, Mark says, okay, I'll do it, even though I have a girlfriend. And that scene finishes with Cecil and Donald over in the, I guess, the safe house, suspecting Nolan of the murder. So there's two. And now... Being a, you know, and wondering whether Mark is going to be the hero that he needs to be. So it's kind of a, an interesting test for Mark from Cecil to see how will he perform in this uh, intergalactic mission. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, the initial part of that, I felt like the shushing before the shushing, when he comes in, I had written down something about, you know, you can't disrespect your wife's work. And it, it felt to me like... Nolan was being yeah. a little dismissive of what she does. And she kind of mentions this several times in the episode where she feels like she's the only non-superhero in the group. And so she's, she's in, if she finds what she does important and valuable and for him to kind of brush it off as not meaningful, I think kind of hurt her feelings. And then I love the needle drops in this again, Mark and Amber total rom-com vibes uh, in that brief like scene where he's outside before he comes in. They just, I love, yeah. love, love the way that those two are presented together. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, like I, I thought this was a really cool mission for 
Mark or someone to be escorting a shuttle to Mars for protection detail. Like that was super cool. I was like, man, yeah, if we actually had superheroes that exist and were somewhat governed by uh, some sort of bureau here on the planet, like that's exactly the kind of thing that we would probably want to use them for. I uh, thought that was really neat. And then, yeah, the Cecil thing, it's clear that multiple people are aware of what Nolan has done. It makes one of the scenes later in this episode kind of interesting to me. <laughs> uh, we'll get there. Yeah. But. Well, I like that there's ambiguity at this point with Cecil knowing, but not wanting to do anything. Like that seems to be a common thread that the secret is out. And yet the right thing to do, which is tell the authorities or come clean is being washed or pushed under the rug in favor of something else. That's the thing is it's in favor of this why that we have not figured out yet. And that creates a lot more injury. It does. And I think to your point earlier about like expectations and flipping them for the audience, the way that Cecil is depicted both in physical stature in look and in the way that he acts and talks, it makes you question his motives, even though everything he's done really up until this point is pretty standard and on brand for a good guy who you'd be rooting for as a complete hero. But I can't get it out of my head that there is like something just under the surface, sinister, dastardly about this guy, but it has nothing to do with his actions yet to this point in this episode yet. But, you know, I am on his side, but then I'm keep, I keep going, but what is he doing? What is he doing? Even though, and it's all because of the way that the character talks and acts. It's kind of, messing with your head a little bit. Yeah. He will not get shushed by anybody, no. I don't think. No. <laughs> so your girl Eve makes a quick cameo here in this yeah. episode. It's not a long scene. She talks to Mark about her teenage problems and mentions to him, listen, I know you like this girl. I know you probably want to tell her your secret, but just know when you do, if you do, it's out there and you can't take it back. So it's good advice. And I, yeah, I, I this was weird. I was like, bro, what? You have been a superhero for like a week and you have been dating this girl for like half of that week and you want to tell her your identity. Please slow down. I mean, like slow like, your roll. Calm down. <laughs> I, I was so worried he was going to go through with it. I was like, you've got to chill like you. You do not. You're not in like some committed long-term relationship with this person that's not how superheroes work you (laughs) come on mark you gotta gotta take your time buddy but uh uh yeah anyway we got lucky and he didn't pull the trigger on that yet well she she's a pro at separating rice so she's (laughs) worth it she might be worth the secret well he goes back to amber's house and he gets her that chest he says laughingly he found some coins in the in the couch i'm thinking the whole time what did you steal he I thought he flew and got one, a different one. Was it the same one? I, I don't know so if it was I, or not. My belief was that he had gone to like Nepal and gotten her one of these chests where it wasn't to be expensive or where he could take it or whatever. Maybe he stole it. I don't know. But that was my read on it was that he <laughs> flew over okay. there and got it because he can. Okay. That's, I guess, more believable than, I guess, him breaking in. Or stealing yeah. it completely. I mean, he could have stolen it, but I don't think he would have, yeah, though. I, I think, think his morality would kick in. And he would say, no, that's not right. Needless to say, she's happy about it. 
and he tells her that he's going on a trip. To- <laughs> this is a great scene with it's it ha- with the launch it's happening on the TV scene. behind them as he's talking yeah. to her. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's like, when are you going? Uh, in about in a minute. And the, the really? countdown is yeah. going like kind of 60, 54, 53, like literally <laughs> a minute. Yeah. <laughs> she says, what are you going to be doing? He goes, volunteering, going away and, and helping people. <laughs> It's just so awkward and generic, but she's like, okay. And it's, it ends in such a sweet way where he's like, listen, I, I just need to know, are, do you like me enough to just stick with me for two weeks? And she's like, yeah. And then he kisses her and she's like, well, maybe three weeks. So I thought that was great. You know, just a great, like, she's not asking questions at this point because she's kind of infatuated. She's, she's in that kind of honeymoon phase of like, Okay, everything you're doing's great. You just got me this chest for eight hundred dollars, <laughs> so I think I'll believe anything you say. At yeah, this point. you're right, and I got to keep that in mind. You know, when even thinking about him potentially wanting to tell her his identity, this is the depiction of the teenager, and it's done so accurately. He's worried about going away for two weeks and losing a girlfriend because he didn't talk to her for two weeks. That's not something adults freak out about. You know, that's something that someone who's never really had a girlfriend before and doesn't want to lose the one that he may be like finally having in his life doesn't want that to go away. And it's it's just a very different yeah. perspective. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because two weeks ago he didn't have powers and he right. didn't have a girlfriend. So things could change yes. very rapidly in the in the world of a teenager, whether you have superpowers or not. <laughs> well, now we're in space. He takes off literally and he hitches a ride on the shuttle, gets his orders from Cecil. It's like the second time in two episodes where Cecil basically calls him stupid. <laughs> he didn't know where Mount Rushmore was in one episode, and now Mark's like, There are Martians? Where do you think Martian Man came from, Jupiter? Uh, I never thought about it. Cecil's just the best. That was my favorite. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. That and the fact that Mark so great. takes a space helmet and an oxygen tank with him, as I was alluding to earlier, yeah. mm-hmm. he learned from his first time in space where he had to keep holding his breath flying around. And I thought that, that was like a nice little detail. Yeah. So if we're going to nitpick the things that were technically accurate against the things that were not, I'm going to go back to that scene or a scene later where he pulls out the sandwich and it breaks yes. because in space it's like all cold, it you freezes, know, it just kind of yeah. crumbles and his line is great. Pack a lunch, my ass. At one point, though, at one point, when he's in space, not when he's on Mars, because he does this on Mars, too, but when he's in space, he snaps like a selfie in space. When you have your cell phone in space, that thing would be frozen. That thing would completely, I would think, because it's cold. Yeah. Yeah. So just saying, it's a funny moment and very subtle, but also technically (laughs) inaccurate. So call me out if you want to, but whatever. Also, this was a scene that I noticed a dude floating in space. So the, the, the shuttle is leaving the dock. If you have a chance to watch, I don't know if you've seen it, Aaron, but if you, if you watch it as the shuttle takes off from the space station, I guess it's getting refueled. This little guy with like wings, it kind of looks like vulture from the Marvel comics. It's just floating. And I'm like, who is this guy? Like, he doesn't look like any character from, I thought he was the dude who got, lavaed in the previous episode but it wasn't him and it got me thinking are the creators just dropping random stuff for us to like question because i go back to the burger 
thing at the beginning of episode two. Never got explained. Doesn't really have a, a reason. Now I'm thinking about this in episode four. So I kind of wonder what happened in episode three that I might have missed that was completely random. And it just, it boggled me because I'm, I don't, it was never told. This guy floats in space. I'm like, all right, is that just is he space in an astronaut debris? suit or just? No, he's, again, he looks like the vulture. He looks old. And maybe that's because he's been floating in space for a while. Maybe it's because space has gotten to him. I don't know. But interesting. I totally missed that. That's wild. Absolutely has a reason. So there's no doubt in my mind that that wasn't an accident or (laughs) random. It does. I think it. I think it. Okay. Well, I'm gonna keep that in mind for the rest of the season. Be like, is that gonna pay itself off? And if it doesn't, maybe that was Alan. Because I'm gonna think because we didn't get to see Alan in this one, and I was disappointed. That was not Alan. (laughs) (laughs) It was not Alan either. And I know you missed him. Well, Debbie's uneasy about how things have been. She and Nolan take this trip to that uh, restaurant that we mentioned earlier. And this is where she's talking to him about how ever since the whole stuff went down with the Guardians, it's bothered her. I think this is where she says that line that she feels like she's the only person without powers, like on this cliff and everybody else is jumping or I don't remember specifically what it was, but she just feels alone in this. And I have a hard time with this scene and particularly Nolan's motivation because it looks like he's going to confess. He doesn't, but he asked Debbie to trust him. I find it interesting because I think he wants her validation. I think he wants someone to believe him, someone to sort of fall into this farce that he is trying to live actively. But I also think that he's dealing with a little bit of a guilty conscience about what he did, because even if it was justified, how in the world do you square that up because of the fact that you've like murdered people? This is not like self-defense. It's not like you were being attacked and you had to kill people. You literally sought these people out and did it, whatever your motive is. But I think this is a really interesting scene because you can see how he struggles, but also how he needs Debbie. Because this is kind of reiterating what he said earlier on Mount Everest to Mark, where he, he says, Coming here felt like a chance to build something new. You mean like with mom? Yeah, your mom changed everything. She turned this place from a job to a home. Then you came along and changed it all again. And I don't think that was an insincere line. I think he really meant what he said there. And so there's something here about Nolan's relationship with his wife that I think will continue to seed itself into his struggle to rectify what he's done with the Guardians. Yeah, I think that's pretty close to spot on. I mean, I, I would agree with most of that. I found it interesting that he has the ability to just fly his wife to Europe for dinner. That's nice. I mean, <laughs> that, it's pretty awesome. Why not? And we learned Why that not? he did the same thing to woo her back in the day. So I would not be surprised if Mark ends up doing that when he eventually tells Amber what's going on. But I'm still hoping they break up and he ends up with Adam Eve. Anyway, uh, then he wouldn't have to do that. They could just fly together. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, when it comes to this whole moment, I'm of two minds again. One, I think, or there's two pieces of it. There's one that you're talking about where I think he's clearly, he wants somebody in his corner. He wants someone to give him a reason to not feel bad about what he did, which just, again, keeps furthering my question of why did he do it? What is going on? Why is there guilt? Why is there a need for someone to be on your side about this? Or why is it that you did this? Because if you were just murdering them, then you wouldn't have as much 
care about why anybody else thought, you know what I mean? Like there's a reason here. Yeah. But the other part is like how selfish he is repeatedly. And there's a dragon in the back of the scene starting to destroy the city. Yeah. Now it's funny because he's like, Oh, let Cecil or whoever deal with it. And then you get these like fighter jets that fly in and just shoot it with missiles and destroy it instantaneously. So they did deal with it, but the lack of immediacy, the selfishness to worry about your moment in that scene and needing her to validate your feelings over the saving other people, that doesn't make me more empathetic about what you're doing. It makes me more concerned that you are off the deep end in a sort of psychotic way. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I picked up on that exactly. And I harken back to um, the not so popular Superman three, where there's a moment where Superman becomes evil. Superman has to fight his better half, but that's sort of the start of it where he hears about a accident and he says, I'll get there. You know, I always show up on time. And then he kind of has a crisis of conscience, like two minutes later leaves. And of course he's late kind of had that same vibe here where they're just misplaced priorities. And I understand that you're a husband and a father, but you're also a superhero. You're the superhero of earth. And the fact that you're allowing your personal feelings to distract you from what should be happening. I'm sure that's probably a little bit of a red flag for Debbie at that point. I don't think she feels comforted knowing that he said, I'm so glad that you said that, you know, I love you. And I'm sure she's like, "Mm mm-hmm, go save the city, please, because this isn't okay. (laughs) There's a quick scene after this with Dark Blood. He's in the Grayson home again, and looking around, he pulls up boxes. Nothing is really shown in detail. Like, he's just investigating. But he is found out by Cecil and his boys. Everybody's just sneaking into the Grayson home. Like, it's completely like Party City with uh, nobody home that actually lives there. And then back on Mars, Mark is chilling out, kind of watching these astronauts, sees footprints and realize that the astronauts that he was supposed to protect had been kidnapped. So he goes hunting for them, finds the footprints, finds a door on the ground and he opens it and he gets attacked by like this jellyfish type creature, which was, were kind of creepy. Uh, I got to tell you, that kind of freaked me out a little bit. I had a little bit of a flashback to Life, that movie that you yeah, with Ryan coerced Reynolds. me into watching. Mm-hmm. With Ryan Reynolds, yeah. Kind of alien light, as you called it. And it come to find out the, the squid creatures are actually called sequits, and they are uh, not good things. He goes in and sees more of them on the walls, along with these greenish-blue figures who are actually the Martians. I absolutely adore this next scene where he gets to meet the head Martian or Martian emperor or whatever he's called played by, is it, how do you pronounce his name? Jimon Hunsu? Jimon Hunsu. Yeah, I noted him too. Who Amazing. is perfect, perfectly cast in this. I just, I had gladiator vibes and it was just so great. I love his voice in this. He tells him that the sequids are the reason that the astronauts have been captured and that they have the ability to attach themselves to a host in order to take over the entire planets. So in my mind, I've got this bucket of like all these cool things that I've been told so far. I've got this weird creature in a tomb that's come to life, been resurrected. I got 
robot taking blood from superheroes. I got clones. I got sequids taking over the body. And I've got, along with the major thing happening, which is the investigation with Nolan. And I'm like, how in the world is all this going to fit together? Like, I'm, I'm literally thinking right now, I don't know how all this is going to connect. And I'm excited to see how and if it does. Yeah, this was great stuff. Learning about the Martians and what they look like. And then, like you said, these jellyfish with brains, basically the brain with jellyfish tentacles is what it looks like. It was a little bit comic booky. The explanation of these things was yeah. a little lost on me. It's just a it's a monologue that the Martian Emperor gives, talking about how if one of these things take over one person, then it suddenly is able to become all one organism and take over an entire planet. It's really a weird explanation, but it is a big threat that we know by the end of this whole sequence is probably about to eradicate Mars <laughs> and now go get the U S and it's Mark's fault. And that's the interesting part of what is happening here is that he fails completely and utterly in a big way, not just in a, a little way, not in a, I'm new to this. And so I really don't know what I'm doing. I'm kind of stumbling my way through it. He takes on the job and by not, a lack of power or lack of ability by pure teenage laziness or whatever you want to call it by not being locked into the job at hand by looking at his cell phone and kind of dozing off he ends up being responsible for this happening that's going to have some repercussions or it should uh, for for him i mean it is not a good way to start off your career as a superhero he potentially is responsible for the genocide of Mars. Like, it is cr crazy, like, what this could actually mean. Pretty much. I don't know if, if that's completely true, because I wonder, the Sequids appear to be living in sort of this weird harmony with the Martians. Like, they're there. I mean, did you see the scene at the end of that? Like, did you see them, like, rising up with the... Oh, no, no, no. They were taking, they were okay. taking them down. No, I, I got it. That was it. Yeah. not the, pleasant. The complete, yeah. Like the, the wave, the wave of sequins. Yeah, it was like creepy. The, like ride the wave of It didn't make any sense to me, but you know? it was creepy. <laughs> it did. Yeah, I know. It's great it's visually, but I, I didn't get it. I, I have to watch these episodes twice, once for my own entertainment, once for note-taking, and I really tried to pay attention to the scene because it was a little bit confusing, especially when you have this American they find this American who's been possessed by the sequid. So I guess they, he was cloned or there was a, a version of him that grew like replicated kind of like, like T 1000 or something. And they moved him. And so he's now on the, on the ship. I did like the whole thing with the flag kind of reversing and the, the stars or whatever, but I, I am confused a little bit. I kind of picked it up enough to get through that scene but I think I can agree completely with you that it's Mark's fault. Like this is not anybody else's fault, but his, and he has completely screwed up something that obviously it's going to hit the fan at some point. But I did like how he was able to kind of give them a push start in the, in the spacecraft while distracting the, the Martians. And for the time being, everybody got home safe and sound as does Mark. I think that he, he ended his trip early. His parents were obviously surprised by that when he gets home and kind of finds his parents, quote, chilling. Uh, very subtle there. Awkward. Yeah, the sound. <laughs> I like the sound when he, like, is arriving, and it sounds like there's, like, an earthquake happening inside of the house. 
There's like bah, bah, right. bah, 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 like stuff is just like flying around or whatever. And then all of a sudden it stops and they're yeah. just sitting there on the couch like, hi, you're home early. How you doing? <laughs> but it was obviously some superhero sex. Obviously. The next day at school, Mark gives Amber a great rock from Mirth is what he describes it as. And also what she calls the strangely non-specific story. Encountered some local wildlife, met the king, kind of a jerk. Oh, but I did actually help people. Not sure how grateful they were, but whatever. Again, she's infatuated with him. She's like, I believe you. I think it's great. Thanks for the rock that I can't get examined by anybody who has any kind of inkling about geology. It's just more, I think I think the MVP of this episode is the dialogue between the two of them. Yeah. Like it's really yeah, it fantastic great. all throughout the episode. A great way to uh, to finish off their little arc in this episode. And then we're at the Pentagon where Cecil is escorting Damien Darkblood. Aaron's shaking his head because we know what happens next. Damien's like, look, I've got the evidence. I'm, I know what happened. Or Cecil says, I know about the DNA found in the office. One of my favorite lines in the episode comes from Damien where Cecil says, you know what I found in your office? <laughs> I was just in your office. You know what I found? He goes, disappointment. <laughs> so yeah, you did find that, but you also found the DNA that uh, you were looking for. And Cecil's forced to send Damien back to hell because he wouldn't stop investigating. Stop meddling, you demon, is what Cecil's saying. And of course, Cecil used AI to recreate a partially destroyed like ritual manuscript because that's the world we live in, where anything can be true. recreated or created with AI. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you read that. There's a line that ends that scene where, or that, that Cecil finishes off the scene by saying, I need to keep things gray until I can see why Nolan killed the Guardians and how to stop him. Seeing Cecil, like seeing Nolan, there's something else here. There's, a, there's an underlying layer of something that's bigger than what we're seeing. And I love it. I love that we don't know and that all this mystery just continues to get more complex. We've added more creatures and, and, and villains and whatever. And it's just like, we got four episodes to maybe sort this stuff out. I don't think we're going to get there, but I'm excited about how many things we are going to get. Yeah. To. It's like a layered show because it's kind of at the very basic level, almost like a murder mystery, but there's just all this other stuff on top of that. That's actually happening going on. But yeah, I mean, he, he does my guy, Damien dirty for sure. And this is where I'm a little confused. So his statement that you just referenced, he says, you know, he starts that off before he says that I need to keep things gray. He says, you see things in black and white. I need to keep things in gray. I don't understand what's going on here because Damien, as far as I can remember, has exhibited no desire or acted in no way in which he was going to go after Nolan or try and enact some sort of consequence on him personally. So I'm wondering why it is that Cecil does not believe they can work together and why he's trying to get rid of the only other person that knows what actually happened. Because to me, he's trying to take dark blood off the board so that he is empowered and he has all the control. And that's where I start to really question Cecil more because yeah. you know dark blood if dark blood was going after nolan and cecil wanted to delay it and dark blood wasn't willing to wait because he was like on a mission for 
justice or whatever, then that would be one reason to do this. But this seems like very out of left field. He's like, no, I need to secretly trap you and get you out of here because I need to be the only one that can do something. And and it's just, I, ooh, I find it really intriguing and what is going on with Cecil and, and his partnership with like robot, you know, there's, there's something deeper happening that dark blood, they're, they're afraid dark is going to get in the way. So I think dark blood represents the moral compass. That ironically. is fantastic. Um, yeah. Yes. He's a demon, but you're right. Nothing has indicated that he's going to tell anybody, but I think it's that inability for Cecil to control him that he has to do what he has to do. Now, to your point about robot, I do not know or think that Cecil knows that robots doing this, the way that the story is being told, the way that the cuts in the scenes are, it make, again, we, we are making assumptions that when Cecil comes in that first time and robots watching the whole thing play out with the Mahler twins, he turns the screen off and then Cecil says, are we good? And robots like, yeah, I think that robot is a rogue robot. I think he is Hal in this series. There's a great moment with him and monster girl where she's like, is it weird that I feel a little scared or I forget what she says, but he's like, no, I feel the same way. And I thought for a second, you're a robot. How could you feel anything? But then again, you know, he's got these other kind of qualities. And so I think in the same way with Cecil and with Damien, I think Cecil wanted to take him off the board because of the fact that he couldn't control him. He needed to kind of keep this narrative as gray as possible. And what Damien was going to do was expose the black and white. This is what it is. This is what it's not. But like us as an audience, Maybe there's a reason. Maybe there is gray where there's nuance to why Nolan did what he did. And I don't think that he sees Damien as someone who can be reasonable when it comes to that. That's kind of my my take on it. Yeah. I'm fascinated and glad that it didn't seem Me to too. work. Screw that guy. Well, it sort of worked later on when he sort of That's what I mean. Back. So no, I'm saying I'm glad that quick it didn't s- work for Cecil. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. I, I gotcha. Okay. want to be ritual. Clearly somebody's a little bitter about this demise or almost demise of, of Damien. All right. Um, Debbie's at Olga's house cleaning. Cause I guess that's what you do as a real estate agent is you clean the house of the, the home you're trying to sell. And she's magic. She actually sells the house to this couple who love it. She finds a picture of Olga and Joseph and takes it. I guess as a reminder that, Hey, family is family. And I need to continue to, Figure stuff out, get some questions answered. And then the main story, the main episode ends in that lab where Robot comes in with the blood sample holding up the thing and he says, finally, phase one begins. I'm assuming this is the clone. This is the thing that the first Mahler twin was creating because the the room is different. This is not the warehouse. This is another place. So my assumption is that he's about to inject this blood into one of the Mahler twin clones is, was that a fair read back? You think? Yes. I think that that is exactly okay. what you would assume based on what we saw happen and, and sort of okay. the flow of events. I had not thought about it until you mentioned that, but if you tie this all back to the fact that he is the one who intentionally let the Mahler twins out, he is setting into place into motion, a sequence of events. He ensured that one of the yeah. Mahler twins got destroyed 
so that a clone would have to be made so that he could then track it and then create some sort of mixed Rex and Mahler twin super villain, super, super villain. I don't know what, what he's doing and why, of course, but there's a reason going on. There's something going on. So if he has the qualities of Rex Splode, mm-hmm. would he be a Mahler cocktail? <laughs> oh my goodness. In the episode right <laughs> Sorry. now. That you can't there's you can't top that. It's we're done. It's over. That's amazing. I I, it, but he better call himself that. I hope that I would not be surprised if that comes out in the episode. I will die. Uh I wish we could end the episode that way. But we got one more scene and it's a scene that gives you a little bit of hope. Nolan is they're they're in the Grayson home. Nolan is telling Debbie he's in the clear. But the camera does this like slow zoom into something, and then we hear a Damien groan. And I, I, I really left wondering what was that about. Like I don't know what was being zoomed in on. Is it a look like is, a is he a, is he in the closet? Yeah, I don't know what it was. Is I, he in the I'm bookcase? Sure. <laughs> like has he become an inanimate object? I don't know. <laughs> Needless to say, it's one of the many questions we have leaving the episode. It, it seems like point, he did not I'm get appropriately sent back to hell and he is going to be angry and i like that i hope that he <laughs> you wouldn't like him I like he come, i hope he comes after everybody and just just <laughs> cleans house take all the conspiracies and lying government people and murderous superheroes and get them out of there there it is folks there's the aaron white take on what should happen next according to damien We'll see what happens. All right. That's going to wrap up this edition of an original series. Next week, we begin the back half of season one with the episode titled that actually hurt. And so I do wonder what that's going to mean. Excited to get some payoffs. I'm hoping the last half of the season is the answers to the questions as opposed to asking more. I will be on the lookout for that awkward moment in the episode to see what random thing appears on screen or happens that has no earthly or intergalactic um, explanation in the meantime uh, we'll be waiting in anticipation for that that conversation that'll do it for us on this edition of an original series thank you all for listening i'm patch he's aaron and we are out of here